Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for May 15th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. This week we will talk about... Alexander Ovechkin, uh, the great things that he does, and perhaps the unfair perception that people have on him. Uh, We will preview the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, and I suppose we will get around to some uh, follow-up talk on Mike Babcock and where he may land, because he has come out and limited his choices to or what believed to be the three choices of Detroit, Buffalo, and Toronto. So um, we will lead off with Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, once again, not making the conference finals. He has never made the conference finals. Uh, but can you really hang it on him? I don't think so. I, you couldn't have asked for Avi to be any better than he was through this particular playoff run. I mean, he was awesome through most of the year. Um, deservedly would have been on a lot of people's MVP ballots. Um, he stirs the, you know, he's the straw that stirs the drink in that team. You might say Nicholas Backstrom is, but when Avi's going, they're almost unstoppable. And to be perfectly honest, they were pretty unlucky in Game 7 in a series of one-goal games. It's a coin flip. Yeah, and here's the deal. Hockey is not a sport that lends itself to individuals pushing teams forward outside of the goaltender position. That's it. I mean, the goaltender position is unique. In, in the sport of hockey itself, but hockey itself is unique in the sports landscape. You, you cannot expect your superstars to, to push you forward because, in general, the there's a lot of luck involved with the... Well, just look at how the series ended. That puck that Stepan gathered, how many times does that bounce over? Yeah, that was a bouncy little puck on a rebound. And you always, at least um, when I grew up, you were coach, always go hard to the net. And as a coach, I'm like, yeah, of course, always follow up, go hard to the net. And that plays into the whole Corsi argument with shot volume, shot volume, shot volume, shot volume, go hard to the net because you never know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you never know. <laughs> You can't plan I, for I think, it, so that's why you need more volume. It, it, that's why the, the Corsi stuff matters. It's it's the thing that I suppose is frustrating watching all the playoffs so far. And if you're a Rangers fan, you love the fact that the Rangers are winning. But if you're a neutral fan, I hate watching Ranger games at the moment. They're no fun. There's, there's like you watch the Tampa, Tampa and Montreal series. There's some excitement involved in that, and it's not like the Washington Rangers series 
doesn't have dynamic players to make it exciting. They're just not being allowed to do it. The systems that both of those coaches put in place stifle any creativity at all in, in, in those games. And as soon as it opens up and the players start you know, playing hockey, you can see the coaches on the benches reel the teams back in and get back to their game, quote-unquote, or get back to their structures, make sure we follow the team game. And it's like we watch this to be entertained. And it's a lot easier to say this when it's not, for me, when it's not the Penguins games that are on the line and there's a lot more at stake in, in, in that emotional sense. But it's been a real drag trying to watch the Eastern Conference games when the Rangers are playing in them. The West is a totally different story. But the, the East, I really hope Tampa go through. No, but that, that plays to the point of how um, somebody like an Alex Ovechkin who... who since he's come into the league, his individual scoring chances just crushes the competition. Oh, yeah. He generates insane amounts of offense. And, yes, like, shot suppression is probably not his specialty. And for some players, when you when you analyze and look at everything, you're like okay, well, how come shot suppression's a problem here? But when you're pumping out the offense and the chances that he does at a historic level, it's like, well, who, who gives a crap what, what a shot <laughs> suppression is? I mean, it, give me a break. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I fully understand what you're saying there. It's, it, it, is, it is a little baffling, I think, um, that... Everybody has players that they don't like, and then it's it's really easy when you get to that point to um, look at the negatives of a player before you look at the positives, before you try and balance out what they're worth. And Ovechkin has just been labelled a coach killer, and there have been reasons for him to be called that. So it's like he's a coach killer. He doesn't do anything going the other direction. He's all one way. It's all me, 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 me. Well, this year he changed all that. And everyone wants to give the coach the credit rather than give Ovechkin the credit for the turnaround. He's and been it's the like, same guy. He's been the same guy. Even if he has been the same guy, the thing is, though, if you get there and you think that the guy's changed his direction in the way he plays on the ice, give the freaking player the credit. Don't try and palm it off to someone else. You know, it's like <clears throat> just before we started, Todd Cordell tweeted out a really good tweet. McDavid came out and guaranteed that they'd go back and um, the Otters would go back and play another game at home. They wouldn't get knocked out. Well, they're not doing a particularly great job of doing it. I think they were 4-2 down when we started the podcast. And no one's batting nightly at a 18-year-old kid doing it, yet Ovi, 28, goes and does it and they just tear shirts through I don't I don't know what else Ovechkin can do because hockey's a team sport it's why we love it like you said the only position that can really put a team on its back and, and go with it is the goaltending position it's not oh, the NBA let's be completely honest the xenophobic attitudes are still riding high in some uh, corners of the hockey world and I think this has come along it has come a long way since even a decade ago, I think there's much more appreciation for just good hockey. Whereas before, I think the xenophobic attitudes, North America versus Europe was pretty pre relevant. 
you know, just 10 years ago. But, um, you know, people think Ovi's teams not getting to the promised land makes him a low-hanging fruit. And it's like... Well, that's the thing, though. He is a low-hanging fruit. Let's just blame it on Ovi. Let's not have a look at the other problems that are there. He's an easy target. It's like when... It's like when um, Penguins fans blame it all on Malkin. He's easy, low-hanging fruit. And even Sid. Like, yeah. blame, blame the best guy in the sport. Yeah, okay. You know? So, I get what I suppose. Look, and this, this is a broad brushstroke across all sports, I suppose. It, it's, it just feels to me like Ovechkin just gets a large chunk of that flack that I don't think is deserved. And if you're a Caps fan, yeah, you're shattered that you lost in overtime against the New York Rangers in Game 7 again. But yeah, those you've got to have a history too. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be happy, I suppose, with how they played through the year, where they're headed. You've just got to hope that the general manager can find the players that that are required to get them over that that hump, because that back end of theirs gets old real quick now, with those signings of Orpik and, and Niskanen. Like all picks just going to get slower and slower, and it, it, it really relies upon those good young forwards that the Caps have got coming through, developing and being good while they're cheap. No, absolutely. But actually, you know, you you, you can keep blaming the, the the best people, or you can start questioning moves that teams make that haunt them for years to come, like Washington trading away Philippe Forsberg for Martin Erat. Drafting yeah, Tom Wilson in the first round. A bottom six plug in the first round. Because it goes back to size and grit. Size and grit. Well, but the thing is, though, you can make the argument that with the direction that the league's headed in, Size and grit is technically going to get it done because your star players, when you get to this time of year, do not get a chance to be star players. So get more of them and give more of them a chance. So you, you, you're basically taking the, the course, the attitude. I don't think your construction roster. of roster should change. I just think expectations should change. If that makes any sense at all. I keep, think I know. Keep generating. Keep acquiring the most skilled players that you can because you know the game does get bogged down but you still want the best guys that can do the most with the puck in the limited space that they get i i fully agree with that but if you've got a team full of skilled players and i'm going to put in air quotes here finesse and i know you didn't use that term finesse but you get there and you go and have a look at that Vancouver-Boston series. That game was officiated at an entirely different level. Vancouver should have won that series, but when all of your good players, and in a cap world you've only got so much money to spend on high-quality, talented players, when all of your players are getting gang-tackled and nothing gets called, the team that's larger is almost always going to win out. And, and I just think that sucks. There's that's no a unique there's no, series, though. Sorry? 
that's a unique series. I don't think Boston <clears throat> played better than Vancouver. I think Tim Thomas had like the best playoff series of all time or yeah. playoff run. Definitely. And and it speaks to what we said earlier. The position that can drive you forward. Boston is actually the 2011 Bruins are the worst possession winning Stanley Cup team since the cap era began. Tim Thomas is the reason they won. I think Vancouver actually, you know, played okay. And I think Luongo had a few stinkers in there. But Tim Thomas just was a monster. So Actually, going back to the point you made about the history between the Rangers and the Capitals, um, this is where the new playoff format sucks. Yeah, you keep getting it. You keep getting the same teams year in, year out, year in, year out. You look at... at um, if the league wants to expand the sport into markets, you need to have success in those markets. I know Minnesota classes itself as the state of hockey in the States, but if they go through this stretch without getting past the Chicago Blackhawks and at least getting to a conference finals or a Stanley Cup finals, then this particular era of hockey in Minnesota at the NHL level is going to be a waste. And when you're stuck in the same division and there is no other way out and around to play different teams, to get different rivalries on the go, I, I don't know how the NHL expects the product to expand in markets for the passing fan to then become a regular fan, to then become a hardcore fan. It, it just seems so short-sighted to nail everything down into these little tiny divisional playoff series. I mean, it sounds cool on paper, but practically it just doesn't work. Agreed. But here's the other part about relying on stars to push your team forward. Um, Capitals traded for Curtis Glencross. Oh, yeah. Traded a second and a third round pick in this year's draft. They traded for Tim Gleason, which cost them a fourth round pick in this draft. Neither guys played well. In fact, Glencross got healthy scratch in game yeah. seven like you traded a second and a third that's like Doug Murray for two seconds kind of trade so how do you build the future when you're just wasting it on all you have to do is basically look at one of Dominic Gallimini's hero charts as a starting point you know and if his chart that he has, and, and just to give a little insight on how his charts work, he has different statistical categories, and he ranks them depending on if it's a forward or defenseman, first line, second line, third line, fourth line, or or even below that, or top pairing, uh, second pairing, bottom pairing, and below that. I mean, if your guy is near that, that bottom area for, for all the categories, like, Shouldn't an alarm bell go off? I'm not saying you like make all your decisions based on one simple chart, but like, shouldn't you ask yourself the question? Why does this? Why does this look terrible? That chart. Why, why am I giving a second and a third round pick for this? 
those those charts are exactly what you said. They're a brilliant starting point. They're, you know what, I actually think this player might be all right. None of my scouts have been able to actually go and watch him. I've had time to watch. Let's see if I can be bothered even wasting time or watching him play. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. You get there, you look at those numbers and you go, or you look at those charts and you go, all right, not, this guy's not the right guy. Let's look somewhere else. That, to me, is the thing that... But you I, focus your resources somewhere. Correct. That's that's exactly right. It, you, it's not... The advanced stats aren't about wiping out watching the players. What they're about is being able to better utilize your time watching the players you need to watch. It's just trying to be more time efficient. Trim the fat, trim the fat, yeah. trim the fat. It's, yeah. I mean, look, we all love watching hockey. And honest, what was that? Obviously. Why, why, why do we do any of this? But to be honest, if I could get paid to be a scout and travel around and do it, I probably would, as long as I got paid enough that um, I, I could live off it, which from the sounds of it, a lot of the scouts with these NHL teams aren't doing that it'd be great fun to do i'd probably get sick of hockey by the time i was 45 but that's not the point you don't you you can't watch everyone you know you just can't so you've got to work out what kind of team you want to construct and then try and find players to fill that style of team and there are plenty of teams out there that i don't think know what they think is needed to win in regards to what type of hockey needs to be played to win and until your general manager knows that it doesn't matter what advanced stats you use or however many scouts you use. You don't know what sort of player you're looking for. It's just funny you could use just that chart running an NHL team and just kind of use it as a temperature gauge on on like players you're looking to acquire. Yeah. And, and just see if it's even worth the time and effort. Oh, totally agree. Time is everything. And if you can save your scouts time, that's you're going to send them in a better direction. But, you know, advanced stats, they're overrated, so whatever. <laughs> oh, sarcasm on you sometimes is not glowing. <laughs> you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but... The idea is to get it right more often than not. It's not rocket science. But I got bad news. The people that don't use them, guess who? Guess who's wrong too, and a lot more frequently. I, I think that's what it comes down to. It's the frequency of that incorrectness that's the what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's a I straw. Mean, it's a straw man argument that the stats are a hundred percent, and nobody that uses them will ever claim such a thing. No, that's right. It's um, I, one thing I've worked out with rate the ratio hiring is that I've worked out for general managers, you're judged on more on your mistakes than your success. When people look at the hire, they look at what got you fired from your first job. And so the less mistakes you make, the more likely you are to get rehired again. I think that's just the reality. It is, I think, in the general manager world in, in this sport. So the more you can limit your errors... I think the better off you are. And if you're going to make fewer errors by using the stats, then stick to the stats and have those donkeys come up less frequently. Because you know, that you, you can always go back to that, that Doug Murray trade. There is no way that was done on an analytical basis. That was purely done on a we think we have to be tougher and stronger, so let's go out and get someone that he hits hard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
and it, it's like crankshaft. It's just not where you need to, to be. Like if, like you said in your last podcast, you sure has learnt anything. He shouldn't make moves like that when it comes time to load up for a Stanley Cup run. You shouldn't. You shouldn't make that error again. If he does, then you're looking at the same general manager that you had when he was in Pittsburgh. No, they're screwed either way. Oh, stop being so pessimistic. Ah, the devils. <laughs> all right, so we've done. I don't this. shed any tears about their situation. Oh, I know. I know. Now, this is what we've normally done. We get there and we got ourselves diverted. Which series do you want to talk about first? Well, I just want to end on that. I think Ovechkin's terrific, and I think that. You know, it's not his fault, and I look forward, if my schedule permits, to watching the semifinals of the U.S. versus Russia tomorrow that he'll be taking part in. That and will be- I, think, I think a super line of Malkin, Ovechkin, and either Kovalchuk or Tarasenko would be mint to watch. Let's see if they put them all together, though. Russia always seems to bone Malkin. With his line mates when he plays for Russia. I wonder I wonder whether that's just his personality type in regards to he does just get there and go, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do, rather than... Well, I think his... that's the general sense of how they even get over there in the first place. Well... Yep. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm playing again. <laughs> if, I, if I had... If I, had I mean, he was hurt. He, yeah, and he, I, guess, I guess I'm playing again. You can see that he's still hurt too. Like, you can now that you know that he's got that ankle, and you can look out for it. You can see when he tries to stop and go, and you can see when he tries to turn a circle. He's got he's turning circles are so wide, and he can't stop hard and change direction. And you just go, geez, no wonder you're struggling to Stanley Cup playoffs. No space out there. He's got no ability to change his direction with any speed. It's like, well, yeah, you deserve to caught the flack that he was, but you can see why. Uh, he just And he, yeah. two days ago, or a day ago, I don't even remember, but he had two goals and an assist to push Russia into the semis. Yeah. On a bum ankle. Why? Because they actually call the game appropriately, and he finds time and space. I don't think it has anything to do with the Olympic size rink. No, they, they call penalties, you get space... You either keep giving the penalties, or they stop and you get your space. It's not it's not hard. It's just frustrating. It's like all these. Oh, well, we go. I reckon we discuss this every week on this podcast, and it's frustrating that we do. But it's it's kind of important for the development of the game that they get this aspect right. This inability or refusal to affect the game by the officials affects it more than anything else. And, and until um, either the directive is thrown down from Batman or they change whoever the – is it Steve Walcombe that's the head of officiating? Yeah, and you know what? He used to be a non-ice official. Yeah, right. And I think ever since he went back up, draw your own conclusions. It's just, it's just so frustrating. It's, it's one of those things where – we as hardcore fans really love watching this game and we get so frustrated by it, but we're the ones that need to walk away for them to 
notice anything happening for them to go, shit, we've got to do something. And I'm not going to do that. I know that. All right. Playoffs, conference finals, previews. Tampa Rangers, who do you think, just straight off the bat? I like Tampa as a team better. My reservations about feeling strong about picking them include one man, Henrik Lundqvist, 10 straight playoff games with a save percentage of 930 or above. That's amazing. Crazy. So, how can you pick a team if the goalie's playing like that? I mean, I like Tampa, but if Lundqvist is going to do that, uh, how, how can you beat him? Well, <clears throat> it's the thing. Like, I remember when we discussed the playoffs, I said I thought Montreal would be okay because I don't think Carey Price will fall off. And you said... He won't fall off the wagon, but if he drops 1% or 2%, then Montreal are cooked because they've got nothing else to help cover up that little drop from Carey Price. And you're exactly right. He was good, but he wasn't, you know, heart trophy winning Carey Price in the playoffs. It just, it all got a little bit too much for him. Gee, did That's... anybody predict that? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, but that's what Tampa has to count on, though. This Rangers team is riding Lundqvist again. And as, you know, he's proven that he can do it. But Tampa's just got to know that if they keep doing what they're doing and he slips up at all, they're going to, they're going to win. Like, he only has to drop off 1% or 2%. And I think Tampa are home. Because the Rangers have shown nothing in regards to having anything dynamic happen for them that can change the course of the series. They've done everything in a grinded-out sort of style. Um, their big guns in St. Louis and um, Nash just can't get the puck in the back of the net. They're doing a lot of other good stuff. That's not... Nash is specifically. He's generating yeah, that's a lot of scoring like, chances. People will ride Nash for not scoring because of his cap hit, and I fully appreciate that argument, but he's doing everything else you could possibly ask of him. So... You're just gonna, if you're New York, you just have to keep putting him in situations where he can put the puck in the back of the net and you just hope that it starts to happen now because if it doesn't, winning gets harder and harder from this point in because the teams are obviously better and better. But I do like Tampa's forward depth, <laughs> even though they don't want to play Jonathan Druin for some reason. I just... There's always one team with one player in the doghouse at this time of year, and you can never really work out why. They're playing Brendan Morrow, for crying out loud. And then they had a, a void in their top six when uh, Callahan went down and, and still didn't play Druin. No, so there's obviously something there that the coaching staff aren't liking, or there's an injury there they're not telling anyone about. But I think that's just been Druin's play they've been upset with. Yeah, and I don't understand that. Now, you, Kelly... can, you can still shelter a young player in the playoffs and, and promote situations where they can thrive. Like, I guess my point is a larger point. So you have a very skilled young player who who might not be 
terrific defensively. So you shelter him, correct? Yeah, put him in situations to succeed, not fail. Totally agree. But you have aging veteran guy who you're also, like, you put him in the lineup because he's a cagey veteran and, you know, you trust him due to experience, but you then shelter him. <laughs> in the exact same way, but he doesn't have <laughs> And it's upside. like, where's the upside? Yeah. Ah, so... Ah, very confusing. And the thing that's funny about that is that John Cooper is a bit of a more of a forward thinker in regards to the way he handles his roster. Yeah. And and this to me feels very out of step in regards to what he's done for the for his time in Tampa. So I wonder whether someone else is pulling that roster string or whether he's doing that out of I don't know, traditional comfort in regards to what's expected of you as a coach. Like I don't, I don't get it. It's one of those things that I've liked. I like the way Cooper. F- for me, Bruce Boudreau and John Cooper play to win hockey games. They don't really think too much about losing. You look at the way Alain Vigneault coaches. He coaches to to not lose. And you look at Quenville, and I think with the roster he's got, it doesn't matter what he does. They just do whatever they want anyway because they're so bloody good. That Chicago team. He throws a lot of F-bombs at him. He certainly does. He's (laughs) Based on those, uh, you know, behind the scenes. He's your old school style coach, I'll tell you. But it's the thing, like Cooper plays to win. And that roster decision in regards to keeping Jonathan Druin out and then putting in players that are older for more experience just sort of, to me, rubs the other way to the way... Cooper goes about his business, so it'll be. It would be really interesting to find out what those reasons were in regards to why he's not not playing that player, and what it is that he needs to see from from Druin to to warrant a spot in that roster. I mean, you look at at Calgary; they didn't give a toss about age in regards to playing some of their their youth. Um, I mean, they burnt a player's entry level year for what an extra two games, so. It's, and that's from Bob Hartley, who's what I would have considered before he started in Calgary, a very old-school style coach. So it swings me out about. It's different everywhere, I suppose. Yeah. So are you, you going to give Tampa the series, or are you going to give it to Lundqvist? Like, I don't want to bet against Lundqvist. That's the thing. Ten, <laughs> ten games in a row at nine thirty. I mean, that's absurd. Playoff games. That's two different series, and it's. But I'm betting against them. Wow. Because I want to watch Tampa. Yeah, so do I. And that's the thing. I'm picking Tampa in six, and they just get a couple more lucky bounces than the Rangers. Um, but I want them to win. And I, I, I want a fun team to win. So teams go, oh, you can still win while playing exciting hockey. Because it's a copycat league. And, and this, this league needs some exciting hockey to win so that teams start to play that way. Um, but Tampa's just, I like, I think Tampa's back six overall at the moment is better than the Rangers' back six because oh, the, yeah. Rangers, the Rangers' back six hurt. They think Dan Girardi's good. No, I know. That's an argument for another podcast. But 
They... Uh, I'm going to argue it now. He stinks. <laughs> You're not even arguing it. It's just a statement of fact. Um, that's, that's the thing. It's like... It, it's one of those things where the perception is because of McDonough and Stahl and Girardi that their back six is something that's awesome. And they went, look at how well they played against the Penguins. Well, they only had to match McDonough up against Crosby, and that was the end of the, the, the Penguins. You get there against Ovechkin, and they still he, didn't. Ovechkin yeah. beat the crap out of him. I know, and that's the thing. The reason the goals weren't scored wasn't because of McDonough or Girardi. is because of that guy in net. That's the difference. Like, Lundqvist makes that back six look so much better than they actually are. You, that... know, what the, you know what the funny thing about this series is? Yeah. One of the Rangers' best players from last year now plays for Tampa, and that's Anton Strollman. Strollman, does yeah. not get even close to the amount of respect that he deserves like i people talk up like shea weber for the norris and it's just so laughable because it's just built on past reputation and not current play he's got the big shot he does generate some offense but as far as a defender he doesn't do a great job anymore and strawman just quietly goes about his business producing scoring chances um shot suppression all that kind of stuff but you know it's easily ignored because i don't know that i guess that's the way that the sport is covered now um the other thing about that is that he's also playing on a team with victor hedman and everybody's already declaring that hedman's going to win norris's so there's no way in hell that strawman's going to get out of that shadow i don't even think hedman gets as much respect as he deserves to be honest uh, i don't know i think the start of this year he did until he broke his hand and then he came back he struggled a little bit and then a lot of people are saying now that yeah victor hedman's Victor Hedman's up there in that category of Norris candidates and stuff. And he's well, he been, has been. He's been unreal. I, yeah. But Strollman, that's the thing. Like, you get there and taking Strollman out and basically replacing him with Boyle, it's a big change for that, that back six in regards to what they had against LA to what they've got this year. So it'll be interesting to see. You couldn't get there and go, if Tampa Bay back six play better than the New York Rangers back six, Tampa Bay should win it. You just want Ben Bishop to not give up any stinky goals like he did against Montreal. And that I don't could think be the Ben decided. Bishop played that poorly, but yes, the, um, your point. You know, sometimes he he was fighting it a little bit. Yeah, he just. It just that's has more to of an aesthetic in. thing. His his numbers were good. Yeah, he just needs to not let in those good old school flurry stinkers. Those ones that you go, how the hell? Well, when did Flurry that... does the stinkers in the pl- not not recently, let me no, 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 say no. that. But but when Flurry was giving up the stinkers that were aesthetically like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like his numbers were terrible. No, I know. And, and, and right now Bishop has a few of those goals where you're like, good grief. Um, but his numbers are okay. His numbers are actually good. So you know. Oh, it's You'll take it. Where these games are going to be two-on games. The Rangers are designing all of their playoff games to be tight and close, 
and just rely on the lucky bounce. That's that's what they're doing. So Bishop can't afford to let in those fluky ones in this series. There's just there's not the room anymore. The, the flexibility is just not there. It's just, the room's just not there for them to do that. So he's just going to have to be he's going to have to be smart. All right. So who do you have? I'll, I'll go. I'll go Tampa and six. That's be boring. Same. <laughs> you, could, you can't. You can't say that. You can't say that without going. Oh, Lundqvist has to eventually fall apart. Well, it's like he hasn't yet. So oh, I'm what, not. I'm not betting on that. Oh, no, that's the thing. So it's one of those things where you go, Tampa are going to have to win this. It's not like Lundqvist will drop, you know, one or two percent, and that's what will get him through. They'll have to beat him, and it'll be it'll be interesting to watch, but it won't be exciting to watch. It won't be fun hockey to watch. It'll only people will only get excited about it because the games will be close, and there's so much riding on the games. The trip to the Stanley Cup Finals. That's the thing. It's not going to be. I want to be wrong, and hopefully, I look like an idiot in two weeks' time when it's been a great seven-game series. But I don't see that happening. I, I just want to watch fun hockey, so we'll see. Yeah. All right, so over to the series that I think is going to be the best out of the last three series remaining, Anaheim and Chicago. I I do think this has high potential to be the, the final, relatively speaking. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, tons of talent here. I just hope it all shines through. Um, you have the Getzlaff Perry duo, and I'm thrilled to say that that duo is still going because of that um, potential knee injury that, oh, that Perry was going to suffer. Um, I thought the the Ducks were cooked, and it turned out to not be a serious injury, which which I'm a closet Ducks fan for the yeah, most part. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of been my Western Conference team. Uh, I went out with a went out with my dad to California on a, a business trip, and we went to a few playoff games during their 2007 playoff run. And that was my first experience seeing Getzlaff and Perry, and seeing them in person. I, it was kind of a love at first sight kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, I go. How can these guys play as physical as they do and have those kind of hands? <laughs> and since then, I, I, I just love watching both of them play. So they have the Ducks have obviously both of them. Uh, they have, I would consider, average goaltending. And a defense core that's... I don't think as good as Chicago's, but was improved with Simone Dupre um, and getting rid of Ben Lovejoy. So, and they're still sitting with Zanuski. Oh, we'll we'll get into that later. But um, ah, oh, yeah, you know what? We'll get into that now. <laughs> what the hell are they doing? Boudreaux obviously feels more comfortable with Stoner out there. I don't, I don't get it. What the but, hell does that guy do? 
don't know. But look, I don't know either. It's they're winning. Why change the roster unless someone? Oh boy, is that just? I love throwing these. Always old... look to get better. Always I love throwing look these to get better because they drive you absolutely nuts. <laughs> Always look to get better. I agree. I agree. Oh, this lineup won, so uh, we got. <laughs> I mean, it's like having Malkin out for a Penguins playoff game, and they won the previous game. Well, the last lineup won, so I knew you were going to keep it. I... I agree. It's it is it is silly. It's idiotic. I, I agree with that. It, it's like I don't know enough about Wisniewski and Stoner to the point where I'm trying to remember in the back of my head whether they're both right-hand shots or left-hand shots. Right hand there. Stoner is doesn't generate much. Suppression is okay for for shots. Doesn't generate offense or shot attempts and doesn't play much james wisniewski is a guy that is known for his offense and his puck skills and his shot suppression is actually better over the last three years so i wonder what it is then his shot generation is the perception that stone is more physical and they want physicality out there like what else could it be? That's, that's the only thing I can think of. That's, that's why I'm asking. You sort of get there and go, what's the perception that's got Stoner out there rather than Wiz? And it's it's probably that. And it's it's funny. I couldn't see that unless someone gets hurt in that back six, I couldn't see them changing what they've got now. Even though you make the really legitimate statement, always try to improve. I agree with that as well. But I can't see them changing that tact. Now, I know you said you think Chicago's back six is better. Is that taking into account that Roosevelt's done? Yeah. He's and a bit player. Sorry? He's a bit player. Yes, but he was a bit player that was at least allowing him to play five rotating D-men. They can, so, they can call up a guy and do just fine. Yeah, but they were playing with six and barely playing team in it. So they're going to call someone else up. The they're... fact is, though, they got like four guys that are complete horses. So you're not worried at all at this time of year that they're going to slow down? Not, not with a week off. And this is why I'm asking the question. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I think they should be... The fought. schedule's played quite well for, for Chicago. Chicago. Well, they also for Anaheim. They've got time off as well, so it's worked... So the fact that they're probably going to play Duncan Keith 33 minutes a night, Seabrook probably the same. Johnson, yeah. Um, really, it shouldn't be a problem. When you think about it, they should be fine. I mean, their top six forwards have as much to do in regards to the defence of that team as the back six do. So I don't think the defence on that team have to work as hard as other teams do because their forwards are so responsible. I mean, Marion Hosa is like having a third defender out there anyway. Same, you can make the same argument for Taves. Probably the most underrated, underappreciated superstar of his era. Hosa. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. He's, God, he, he's so good. He's so much fun to watch as well. Like, I know he's not scoring at the moment, but 
everything else that he does, his work along the boards, his body positioning, his stick position, um, his ability to create plays for others to succeed, it's just, it's a lot of fun to watch. And you never, you very rarely see him gliding around taking a shift off. Usually just gliding, getting back to the bench. Even then, that's. His next shift off will be the first. Of his career. Yeah, I took me a second to process that. I thought, yep, okay, I got that. <laughs> I mean, but that's what makes Chicago so fun. They have just, they're littered with talent. Yeah. And I hope it shines through. That seems to be the theme of this podcast, but. But I could have. Show me, show me players that can do things that I couldn't even dream of doing. I can see Getzlaff and Perry going head to head with Taze and Hosa. That'll be the line. That'll be the matchup that they go with. Boudreaux's got no reason to not play Getzlaff and Perry against that line because they're defensively responsible. They do care enough to get deep and to to go back and do what they have to do in their own end. But you get them that puck, and as much as I like Taze and Hosa, those are two big bodies that aren't easy to shift off the puck. And a huge trade from last year, which is a game changer in my opinion. They have a second line center. Yeah, Ryan Kessler's coming back to provide a little bit against if Kane's on that other line with Richards. Yeah. So Anaheim has options how they want to match up, whereas before they really didn't. And Kessler's starting to get back to that Kessler that I'd quite like to watch as a player. He's, he's got that angry streak in him that he's always had, but he's actually able to follow it up with action now on the ice, like his body's behaving again so he can do things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been great fun to watch. Like That was a brilliant acquisition by, by Anaheim. Um, I think it was a bit of a steal as well for what they gave up. Um, they've, done, they've done beautifully with that you know what's funny? <laughs> Not to interrupt. No, no, go for it. The the Penguins' reservations about giving up. I think it was Dupre and Sutter and the first for Kessler or something like that. And and then you fast forward to this year and it's Dupre for freaking Ben Lovejoy. <laughs> It's like it's a little baffling. I don't. It's like whatever. It shows you how a front office can dramatically affect seven or eight years of a franchise. But I watch Kessler doing his thing. He's doing a nice job, and you know that would mean no Kasperi Kapanen. But he's like the 75th ranked prospect on hockey's future right now. So, all right, sure, Ben Lovejoy. <laughs> but the other good and, thing- and and Brandon Sutter. I mean, geez, don't don't forget him. Before we get distracted um, onto Penguins rants. Um, no, well, that's all I have for that. I just wanted to. The thing out. with nobody say I could join in and it just go crazy again. The thing with Kit, like with. The top six, like they've got Bolesky and Maroon are actually contributing offensively. And 
It's one of those things where it's like, unfortunately, going back to that spray trade, Pittsburgh should have just traded for Bolesky and just prayed they could have re-signed him at the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's the thing. I mean, if that's like, riding the PDO train, he, no, he certainly is. But if um, if the Ducks go through this and don't win it, he'll walk, and he'll get that. What have you done for me lately? Contract, which would be quite nice for him. So they've got to ride this out, the Ducks, and, and hope that they take advantage of the fact that they've got players that are riding that PDO train. Because that's what you want this time of year. You want players choo-choo riding that train. <laughs> but you can't always predict who those will be. Oh, you've got no idea who they're going to be. In theory, it should be your better players that jump on that train. But as we're finding out, it's harder and harder for them to do that because they're not given the opportunity. So you are going to rely on the PDA train hitting someone that you're not expecting. And Bolesky is that right now. Yeah, and one of my favorite ones is Fernando Pisani back in the the Oilers run. Like, all right, if you're going to pretend like you called him being the goal-scoring god for the Oilers, then give me a break. So you just, you just, that's the thing. You want, as a strength and conditioning coach, you are trying to prep your players to be in the best physical condition they can be to succeed. But it still relies on that gambler's toss of the coin in regards to whether the player is in good form and, and playing well or whether they've hit a slump. And, you know, Rick Nash is in good form. He's just in a goal-scoring slump. Again, in the playoffs. Is it a is it a career thing? Like, I know it's the thing with, with Rick Nash. Like, you look at Getzlaff, Perry, Kane, Taves. As a general rule, they seem to step up at the playoffs and score those big goals. Like, Perry to win that game after having that knee almost get taken off was amazing. Some players can just do that. Others can't, so you've got to contribute in another way. But I'm banking on Getzlaff and Perry getting to the Stanley Cup final, so I reckon it's going to be them in six. Anaheim in six? Yeah. Well... I let's see here. Who who did um Chicago play in the first round? Nashville? Yep. I had Chicago beating Nashville. I had St. Louis beating Chicago. Which obviously wasn't possible. And then I revised and said Minnesota would beat Chicago. I'm not gonna bet against Chicago again. I will go Chicago in seven and be happy if I'm wrong because I truly believe both teams deserve a final appearance. So I'm good either way. And this is where that idea we discussed a few weeks ago in regards to having the teams pick out of the top 16 teams, pick their way through. You could end up with an Anaheim, Chicago, Stanley Cup. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. You can't... It's, it's the thing at the moment is that there are certain Stanley Cup finals that just will never happen because of the, the divisional series, let alone going back to 1-8. to eight. So you get there with it and it's like, how are you trying to be creative with that sort of stuff and and, and get fans excited that way? Because this, I think this would be a much better series than 
whatever series comes from the East across. I think that's just the reality at the moment. If the Rangers get in, I don't like the way they play. If Tampa gets in, there's a very good chance they might be deer in the headlights and the series might be over before they get involved. And that's just a, a reality of, of the big stage. The reverse of that is they could go in, not give a shit because they've never done it before and just blitz it. But you've still got to get to there. So you reckon Chicago in seven, I reckon Anaheim in six. Um, and we're both equally... And we're both tossing a coin. But both content with either way because I, I like watching both teams, to be quite honest. Like you said before, Bruce Boudreaux teams push the envelope. And Chicago as well. So that's what I want to see. I um, don't want to see the Rangers. So Tampa versus either. And I think we're good. I think so. As far as entertainment's concerned. And yeah, that's that's for me. That's that's what it's coming down to. I mean, uh, I, yeah, this isn't anti-Rangers. It's, dude, your team's boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. I mean. Hey, look, if I was, like I said, if I was a Rangers fan and and my team was, was playing that way and they were winning, I'm okay with it. But right now, I'm an, I'm an independent observer here and I just don't like watching it. And I thought it might have been because of how bad the Penguins were that it dragged what New York was doing. But it's not. It's how they play. Those games, uh, the constant in all of those games that I've watched, it's the Rangers because the Capitals didn't play a boring series against the Islanders. And I don't think this series is particularly exciting hockey to watch. So the, the constant there is, has been the Rangers. So if we get Tampa and the Rangers and it's boring again, it's like, okay, that's three series in a row. There's obviously a reason for that, and it's going to be New York. If it's a great series, then fantastic. But I'm not holding my – I'm not holding on to that one very strongly. No, me neither. And I'm not rooting against the Rangers if they oh. want to um, all of a sudden, you know, be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not. It's not like. Um, it's not like my little. I do not like the Rangers. Full stop. Sort of thing. I just don't like the way they play at the moment. And if that changes, it'd be great for them. But why would they bother changing their wing while they're doing it? It's the same argument the Devils have. Play within the confines of the rules that they did through the 90s and they win. Destroyed hockey, but they were still winning. So you can't blame Devils fans for enjoying it. It took me a, um, a lot of self-control to not interrupt you and say a certain four-letter word that begins with F and then Devils. <laughs> I mean, that Devils era just is complete trash, and we should eradicate that from any memory of any hockey whatsoever, because that's just garbage. Well, the one bonus of that, though, is that whenever we start to shift back towards it, it's the first thing that comes up, and you can tell that people go, I don't want to see that again. So it's probably the only, the only good thing I can come out of it is hopefully it will scare people to go, all right, let's have a look at the game, see what's happening. We don't want to head back that way, and hopefully it will scare them away from it. But, you know, it's the only time it should be brought up. Um, something that's more interesting and, and is good, good, got a good bit of theatre about it, Mr. Babcock, knocking on the door where? Buffalo. You've been hot on that, haven't you? You want that. You want him in Buffalo. 
selfishly and I think realistically, I think it's his best situation now that um, Edmonton seems to be leaning towards Todd McClellan. That's a good hire for there as well. I think Todd McClellan's a good hire for anybody. True. But, but yes, well. good, good hire there. Yeah. Um, three teams, from what I gather, Buffalo, Detroit, Toronto, and I would rank them in that order. Um, if you're going to go and leave Detroit, go to the better long-term situation. And we discussed this on our last podcast. Buffalo has the better high-end prospects right now. They have more prospects in general, which are unknowns at this point in time. You don't know if they'll pan out or not. They may all be busts. But Buffalo has a few high-end guys. Um, Eichel being, you know, the diamond. And he's kicking ass at the World Hockey Championships right now. You always said World Juniors. I did. Because he's <laughs> doing... He's he's doing great. I've, I've actually watched... Um, I've actually watched more of the World Hockey Championships than the, the playoffs. It's been more interesting to me. And a huge reason, selfishly as an American... I'm watching Eichel. Well, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Watch bits and But I'm also watching Canada with Sidney Crosby, and I'm also watching Russia with uh, Evgeny Malkin and Tarasenko and and Kovalchuk, who is mint, and we don't get to see anymore. Oh, you're um, probably also watching someone that wears 68, but we don't really. Oh, you beat me to it. Uh. <laughs> Damn it, is he fun. I know. And you know what? I have to say, I'm so thrilled. Like, Yager actually retired from international competition like a year ago. Yeah. But Czech Republic hosting the um, World Hockey Championship, he, you know, I I bet that was obviously the driving force behind... um, coming out of retirement he's got like seven goals he's playing in front of his home country but think about having a national hero at a sport but never getting to see him perform in person at a high level and he's 43 freaking years old pumping goals in in front of his home country on a, on a world stage and i think that's just terrific it's, it's... and i love it I love watching him play, and I'm watching those championships for all the players I just mentioned, but I have tuned into the Czech Republic because he's going on these rushes up and down the ice because there's time and space because players aren't reaching in because they know they're going to be called. What a concept. And that's the thing. We're not asking for more power plays. We're asking for the players to adjust to the calls. Therefore, they won't reach in. Therefore, it's more exciting five-on-five. That's the the crux of that argument with the call what you see, not what you don't want to call. He's kicking ass, and I love it. Two goals last game. 
So, is, Babcock, is Babcock over there at the moment with Canada? Um, not with Canada. I think he's over there um, with Detroit responsibilities, maybe watching Dylan Larkin. Okay. But according to him, I think we'll know by next Wednesday where he'll land. And I do think it'll be Buffalo. Well, because he's had the, he's gone around his, uh, his world tour, per se, to all the teams that have said, come and have a chat to us, hasn't he? And he got to see um, the Pagula Money Pit. And the- well, here's the thing with that. Toronto's normal advantage is what? Coin. And they don't have that. We will throw you whatever you want. But Buffalo has Terry Pagula, who may not get outbid by any owner in the NHL. So if it does come down to coin versus situation, can he be beat? And, that, and, and I say no. And that's the competitive advantage that Toronto have lost in this particular situation. Yeah, totally agreed. And so, uh, somebody in Western New York, I'm loving this because, <laughs> you know, he bought the bill straight cash. <laughs> that's, you know, that's over, over a bill. One bill. Take it out. Did he give it to them in $1 notes? I would have liked to have seen that part. I don't know if he bought it straight cash, but he could have, technically. He's worth billions. And, and, and Brings in Rex Ryan, you know, boisterous. Like, whether or not you think Rex Ryan, and I don't want to go off into football stuff in the podcast, but, like, marquee coach, high money, reel him in. But doesn't he also think... This is the same process, though. Marquee coach, even more so with Babcock, he's more successful than than Rex Ryan. But good team situation, we will pay you, pay you, pay you, and we have a great situation. So why don't you come on board, and we're gonna treat you terrific. Yeah, you. you... That's the thing. I can understand you, you go, out of the three teams that you, you listed off, you can make an argument for him going back to Detroit and giving it one last Absolutely. Crack. I, I, I think Detroit is, is always on kind of, I don't want to say the back burner, oh, but, I think, but it's there. I, I think that's but right. at the same time, why, why even go through any of these shenanigans if Detroit was truly your spot the only argument you can like if detroit was by far and away the spot he doesn't do none of this no so i mean the argument for going through the shenanigans is leverage but he had all the leverage anyway yeah they were gonna they they have no reservations about paying him money no no. so so that's so now to me it boils down to buffalo or toronto and then that's a Hail Mary gap of a part. Like, that's how big a gap it is between those two situations. Like, you've got to have an ego to be a coach, but I don't think his ego is that big to go, I can turn that Toronto franchise around from where it is to make it a contender. 
in the time frame that he feels he wants to still be coaching. Because I think he does have a shelf life in the back of his head. And I think Buffalo will get him to whatever he considers the promised land, which I would assume for Babcock would be another Stanley Cup, quicker than you could in Toronto. And with a lot less stress, I reckon. Yeah, money's going to be the same or better, wherever. And, you know, Buffalo has Eichel and Ristolainen and Zadorov and Sam Reinhardt and, you know, Grig, a player like Grigorenko that they drafted higher, and, and there's some concerns there. But they also have Evander Kane, Tyler Ennis, and $30 million in cap space. So you have a clean slate to just slide into with some high-end talent already there. We, we per- you already have your future top six centers with, with Eichel and Reinhardt. Reinhardt may not be ready next year. To be like, you know, a 50-point NHL center. But he also might be ready for it. It's not like he's far off. It's it's not like he's a projected bust. Um, Correct? I, I, I agree. With you, You've been really... You've been pretty bullish on saying that you reckon Buffalo could make the playoffs if they make the right moves. Absolutely. It says come. Now... The big problem I have for any young team is actually having someone in net that can bail them out when they make a mistake. Of well, all the problem with Buffalo last year traded two goalies away because they were playing too good. No, and yeah, that this is the thing. If and you, they weren't even really that great of a goaltender. If you want to make that transition, so say you, you, you do want to shift that gear and suddenly become very good, do you... Hold off on that goaltending acquisition until December, or do you go out and try and find one in free agency? Because the free agent field is thin for every position. Not the RFA. Who's the RFA you'd target? I'm going to steal a Travis Yost of TSN.ca idea. One that I've referenced. I'm sure I've referenced on this podcast earlier. Oh, come on, don't expect me to remember that. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I, I remember it because it's a brilliant idea. And his idea is for the Buffalo Sabres to offer Tyler Toffoli around $5 million as soon as the RFA window opens and to offer Martin Jones $3.5 million. And the way that Travis allocated the and I may be wrong on the, the money that I'm offering right now. Yeah. But in Travis's example, the draft picks worked out for compensation so that they didn't overlap and that they didn't cost the Eichel pick. And guess what? If you offered both those at the same exact time, take a gander at the King's salary cap situation. They can't do it. But is there going to be a GM ballsy enough to do it? They all, they all. Terry will... Murray is, or I'm. Terry Murray. 
Buffalo's GM is that guy. Someone needs to do it. Someone needs to break these conspiratorial, let's not do it, let's not do it, and then start the trend. And it would be great if those two deals would be awesome. One, it really, really sets up Buffalo, because I can't see LA being able to actually retaining those two players under those contract conditions. Well, they'll retain to Foley. And they'll be like, well, we have Jonathan Quick. So goodbye, Martin Jones. And to me, Martin Jones at 3.5 mil is, is a worthy risk. Well, On a team that has 30 freaking million in cap space. And you'd only give him three years. Correct. And by then, you're going to know where you're to get. So that, that works. That's a good, good call on Yost's behalf with that. That's oh, he, he, he does his homework, and I thought I, that was one of the more brilliant... So you, your question was goaltending, and I just kind of answered it with like forcing another team's hand, not an unrestricted free agency. That might be the thing this year. We might this year this season's lack of high end talent in the UFA might force some general managers to play dirty with the RFAs, and it's there to be used. They have to start using it. You know, there there are teams in situations where. They can't fork out a lot of money for UFAs, so they need to try and find a way to bridge that gap by stealing other teams' RFAs and giving up compensation. It's the only way it's gonna they're gonna be able to change their roster, I think. But but your question was, will will Tim Murray offer RFAs? Oh, I hope you're right. I hope that, that's a yes. No, I'm... but your question was that. Yeah, he's the guy that goes up to the podium at the draft and doesn't thank the host city or congratulate the cup champion and just makes his pick. <laughs> so that guy doesn't give a shit. All right. So I hope he takes that doesn't give a shit attitude and takes it into the RFA. Saber select Sam Reinhardt. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is. I want to thank uh, <laughs> where, where was the, the draft last year? I don't know. Philadelphia, I've got no idea. I want to thank the, the fans of Philadelphia. I want to congratulate the LA Kings. Tim Murray goes up there and goes, yeah, Sam Reinhart, peace, see ya. Drops the microphone <laughs> and walks off. <laughs> Absolutely. So do you really think that guy's worried about ruffling feathers? Offering oh, the thing is, I'm, I'm wanting to think that stuff like that is the right way to go. And then he uses it. Like, he might not think that they need to do it that way, so he doesn't use it. I hope he looks at it and goes, you know what? There are a couple of RFAs there that I want to steal. And then he goes and does it because it will force other teams to play that ringer ringer rosy with other teams' RFAs. It's the thing with this league. It's like a domino effect. One person does something, it generally flows on to other, other parts of the NHL. So if you can get someone to be aggressive and go out and really change the dynamic of a roster that's got, what was it? Is it $30 million in cap space they've got floating around at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he needs to fill roster spots, but you don't just fill them with scrubs. You can go out and find players to actually be good for you whilst you're filling the roster holes. You don't have to go out and just sign someone because you've got to sign them. And, Doing that to Toffoli either means you're going to get Toffoli for five years for five, at five mil, 
or the Kings are going to have to sign to fall, which they should, and screws their cap situation up. So other players will, will sift out of that system. And, and the Martin Jones one's a, a really good example of that. So teams... It's hedged on the Toffoli one too. It's not an isolated um, assault on a team. No. It's we're putting the pressure on a cap-strained team. We're going to offer a high amount for Toffoli knowing that you're going to match it but we're going to give a respectable amount to the other guy knowing that you can't. And to me, that's genius. If they do uh, heed Mr. Yost's advice, in my opinion. And the, the, But it's the way you, I think that they can – because you're, you're pretty confident that they can advance their um, ascension from the tank nation to cup nation um, – reasonably quickly. They've just got to be smart with the players that they bring in. So it will be interesting to see what type of players Tim Murray thinks is required to fill around the good young core players that they've picked up. It'll be really interesting to see what he thinks is going to win a cup. And that's going to be a podcast for another day because oh. i got so much to say about Sabres and kind of the, the moves they could make. Um. Exciting time. The Darcy Regeer era. Um, I felt so bad for my friends around here. Like, <laughs> just shit decisions all the time. And, you know, when they let Breer and Drury go, not that, like, Drury had anything left, but, like, just the... He let both of them go, and then he let the Edmonton Oilers dictate a seven-year, $49 million contract to Vanek. Could you imagine if the Sabres were like, you know what, Kevin Lowe? Have him for the four first-round picks. Where would the Oilers be right now? Wow, that's a good point, actually. How crazy is that? Here's Thomas Panic. We're going to take uh, Taylor Hall, Everly, and, uh, you know. Was he was he pressured by the local fans and media to make, to say, oh, oh he, he couldn't let all three of them go. That's what I, and so he picked, he picked Vanek over the other two, I'm assuming, then in, in that, in that little conundrum that he set up for himself. Yeah, set up for himself, indeed. That's not exactly clever. <laughs> nope, he's not clever. But Tim Murray is, and I'm excited for Sabre hockey moving forward. Um, Anything else that you want to cover off? There is one topic I want to brush on before we bail out, but is there anything else you want to cover? No, what, what, what's your topic? It's just, it was funny. When we were coming up with topics, uh, and you said, what do you want to talk about? I said, I want to talk about Brooks Orpik. And you were like, what, did, what do you want to talk about him for? And it's that response to the hit that he made on Dan Boyle is exactly why I want to talk about it. He will get no fine. He'll get no suspension because they got knocked out in that game. And it means that he goes into next season with a clean slate. And... I think that's a problem because he hit Boyle flush in the head. And I don't care if you want to be semantic about if it was the bicep or the elbow, 
the fact of the matter is, is that Orpik wind him up with one intention, and that was to wipe him out. Now, I'm sweet for you cleaning someone up on the ice, as long as you don't get him in the head, as long as you don't throw him headfirst into the boards. And the inability of the NHL to at least fine him so that he's got something on his record does not help the cause. It's the same thing with Cronwell. He's walked the line for years and then finally gets suspended for one game, which is a game seven, and everyone's up in arms over it. He deserved that suspension. Just because it's the playoffs doesn't mean you ignore it. Rant over. Done. There's my microphone. I can drop it. Yeah. You know, the mindset of the NHL with their suspensions, me and you both are fighting that losing battle. Um, Hitting for puck possession as opposed to inflicting bodily harm is the first step. And I don't think we're there yet. That's the thing, though. Like, I'm okay trying to inflict bodily harm, but you've got to. You're taught to hit when you're young, not to hit people in the head. So if you get there and you. That's not true. Well, I was. Look, football. I. I, Well, I'm going to be completely upfront and forward. I have delivered many a headshot growing up because guess what it wasn't frowned upon all right okay so that's a totally different culture than what i was taught when i was when i grew up yeah that i'm was... telling you that yeah. uh this concussion stuff and cte and and everything that we're learning now totally a non-issue for for even me growing up um we weren't told to avoid the head. In fact, oh. you know, scumbag me, I would almost <laughs> kind of target it at times. That's amazing. Um, well, you know, we didn't know. No. And now that I do, um, you, you, you gather information. And now that we know of all these terrible results and, and effects of headshots, um, I regret the fact that, you know, that, that was how it was. I can't go back and, and, and change that, but, but moving forward, I will certainly speak out against it. I, I just find that amazing that that's how, that's the, the teaching culture at the time that you went through, you know, your youth and all those sorts of things. Because one of the first things that I was taught playing football was, how to absolutely line someone up and destroy them without getting them in the head. It was one of the first uh, things. Yeah, that just wasn't a... And, and, that, and you and I are only a couple of years apart, so at the same time I was doing that, you were going through what you were. We both didn't have... Our coaches and administrators didn't have the knowledge on concussion that, that we have now. Um, and you can see... You get there and you... I wonder what the cutoff will be for what generation of hockey player that comes through that will actually start showing some respect to the other player's head. Or is it always going to bleed through because the previous generation just doesn't care? Like, you look at Orpik and Cronwall and you go you go further back and you go 
Stevens, and you go. Ah, uh, Stevens is the worst of the bunch. You know, but you get there and you go Chris Pronger as well, and, and I'm just I'm, and Ulf Samuelson. Like I'm trying to reel off names in my head at the moment that are, that are easy, and it's like they just did not care. It was win at all cost. I do not care what happens to that person. You, you can't I fall into that too, though. You can't. You, not you, at their level, obviously, no, but, but you mentality. Can't, you can't do that now, though. You just you can't like. There are going to be lawsuits thrown out there with Mike Commodore's parents now wanting to go to town as well. There are going to be players that pass away, give their brain up for science. And Steve Montador. Yeah, Steve Montador. Sorry, thank you. Um, sorry, Mike Commodore. Um, and you get there with it and it's like the league has to do something about it, but you can't do it at the NHL level. It has to happen lower down. The players have to come. Oh, it's it. I I don't mean to interrupt. Go for it. I coach at the high school level. It's already started. Good. Thank God. We we are totally on that. Um, headshots not allowed. Um, hits that are solely the intent of just blowing somebody up. Um, under the rule book that New York State for high school hockey has put forth. Um, you're not allowed to just blow a guy up for the sake of blowing him up. That's a, I reckon that's probably the best change in junior level hockey. I think is so. So it may take a decade, but players are going to be started starting to be trained um, properly in this regard that you're speaking of. So at least in my area and under my control. Um, with with the players that I'm fortunate enough to coach, um, my guys have been very receptive to uh, that change. Now, to make this even more complicated, you get there and you're the only state that plays that way. You've got a player that comes through who's a defenseman. Well, no, I'm not. We're not the only state. I'm, it's I'm the you, federation rulebook. I'm just using um, as a. As a uh, a sort of an isolated example. You've got a player that comes through who's gone under that that law for the rule book all the way through their junior career. They go up to get drafted and they won't light someone up. Does that cost them a spot in the draft? Do they fall in the draft because they won't light someone up? That'll be the people uh, that are drafting. They'll lose out on good players, much like... Um, how a guy like Tyler Johnson yep. slips through because they have preconceived notions that are false. Yep. And I so, hope it's the case. It, it, so at first it will hurt the player, and in the long term it will hurt the um, tunnel vision management. Because that's, that's one of those things where I, I love that concept that obviously there are leagues and competitions that are, are running that rule. I reckon that's probably the, the best improvement in that sense. Like you've always declared on the podcast – Contact for puck possession, not contact for blowing someone up. That's probably the easiest distinction. So to have a rule that says if you're just trying to blow them up, sit for two or sit for five, whatever it is. But getting them to do that at the age of you know 12 to, to 18 will change the way they play when they go play pro or, or whatever they play after they finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you play when you play your rep games? Do you play under that rule? What games? 
when you when you play like your weekly games and stuff like that yourself, do you play under right the now? Yeah. What about it? Like, do you play under that rule that you can't blow them up rule? Oh, it's no no contact. I mean, we we rub along the boards, but it's not hit hockey. My kind of hockey. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> No, it's um. Well, we were gonna wrap that up, and I got a sidetrack. So sorry about that. No, it's fine. No, men's league these days. No, you know you you can battle in the corner and and, and press into a guy, but it's not body checking. If that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. That's, I wasn't sure at what at what um, physicality level you were playing. At. Unless you're playing with some crazy ass dudes. <laughs> that are blow, trying to blow people up, but not not in the leagues I play in. Everybody's pretty respectful. Is that because no one wants to go home hurt? I think that's got a lot to do with it. <laughs> and I think most of the... Fortunately, I play with a lot of guys that have perspective and have been there, done that already, so there's nothing to prove. So <laughs> That's all right, then. For, fortunate for me. Well, I'm done. I've tapped out now that I've got that rant out. All right. I suppose that calls it a week. It does. All right. The only thing we ask of you, and if you've made it to this point, is, (laughs) you know, depending on if you go through iTunes or not, give us a rating, write, write a review, give us... Uh, whatever star you believe we've earned. Uh, follow uh, Cameron Walsh at Walshy66. Uh, myself, Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Go to HockeyHerds.com. Go to HockeyBuzz.com. And go to HockeyPerspectus.com. And that pretty much covers it. Cameron, anything else? No, no, I think I'm good. Thanks, guys. All right. <laughs> Until next week, we'll see you.